Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. I'll be your host for today. Our guest will be Connor Habib. Connor Habib is an author, lecturer, sex workers' rights activist, and host of the web series Against Everyone with Connor Habib. His writing has appeared in Vice, Salon, Slate, The Stranger, and more. He has appeared in nearly 200 gay adult films and served for two years as the vice president of the Adult Performer Advocacy Committee, a nonprofit dedicated to protecting the rights of porn performers. He gives lectures around the world on sex, sexuality, pornography, and the occult. His web series Against Everyone with Connor Habib is a countercultural blend of sexual liberation, radical philosophy, and occult perspectives. Connor is currently working on a book about pornography's vital presence in our culture and currently resides in L.A. I have a very special guest today, Connor Habib. Thank you. I'm very special. You're very special, yeah. <laughs> and you're here in person, too, which yeah. is not something we usually do on this podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm a hermit and I stay home. He's not just a hologram, everybody. Yeah. I, I mean, you could argue that I am. I won't dispute it, but <laughs> I'm a shut-in. So I do most of my interviews from home. So I'm very happy to actually have someone in the flesh here to talk about a bunch of interesting shit, including sex and politics and the intersection of the two. All right. On that point, um, the intersection of sex and politics, would you rather, if you had a chance to, would you rather want to be able to see Eric Holder's cock or Barack Obama's cock. <laughs> How do you know I haven't seen them both <laughs> at the same time? Well, <laughs> Paul I Ryan. Yeah. The answer is Paul Ryan. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's really, he's really the cutest despicable person I've seen in a long time. When you picture him naked, if you do, do you picture him wearing their red baseball cap backwards? <laughs> Just making a, a muscle for <laughs> his family and democracy. <laughs> Good answer. The way that I heard of Connor was uh, through Abby. I don't follow very many other porn actors on Twitter, but I'm, I'm a porn connoisseur. But I was intrigued that Connor seemed to be very political, but ra- sort of radical, <laughs> sort of radicalized. <laughs> where, was um, I, where was I radicalized? On, on, the, on the set of... Uh, Anal Mania 4. <laughs> <laughs> well, you skipped to my next question. How did you even get to that point politically? Well, I mean, the, those two things intersect for me really concretely, actually, because, you know, I grew up going to, well, first of all, I grew up half Arab in like the whitest place in Pennsylvania. And so already shit was weird for me. Right. But we're in Pennsylvania <clears throat> outside of Allentown. Okay. Is it so Amish territory? No, it's skinhead and KKK. Oh, and, wow. You know, okay. like cons- very conservative. But um, anyway, so we, so I, I grew up there and then I grew up like in, you know, going because my life was boring and I was pissed off all the time, becoming friends with all the punk rock kids, going to punk rock shows, setting them up, starting a punk rock rec- record label when I was a kid. And that more than anything was like, look, there's, a better world that's available. The first step is saying fuck you to the one that is present, you know? And 
and that you won't obey all the rules. And that also sort of infused my consciousness with all the political things that were going on in the punk rock scene and do it yourself culture and, and, mm-hmm. and everything. And then, um, you know, throughout that time and then into adulthood, you know, I noticed that even the most radical people were really messed up about sex, you know? And I always, I, I didn't, I wasn't, it wasn't that, I mean, I had my own fuck ups and I still do have my own issues with sex and places where I'm still pretty repressed, but I'm, I'm doing pretty, I'm doing pretty well, <laughs> with it. but I, um, but I realized that it was this huge sort of missing part. Um, and at a certain point I decided I want to sort of throw a wrench into the gears of my future and do something that was truly radical with my life. And people don't think of being a sex worker, porn performer as radical, but in fact it is extremely challenging thing to the way our political structures are set up, um, the way our culture is set up. And you can see this very clearly in the way that porn performers and sex workers are treated. Um, I mean, we're legislated against in ways that nobody else in our culture is. We're demonized by people on the left and the right, you know, through misunderstandings and, you know, and also, as I was just saying, like sex is just this huge blind spot for people, um, political people, people that we consider, uh, uh, great anti-imperialist leftists. Um, we can name them or not <laughs> later if you want to, cause I know you and Abby have interacted with some of them, um, can do really reprehensible things when it comes to sex and sex work. And so, um, that's how those two things blend together. They're very much of a piece for me and always have been. Um, and that, talking about bridge badges. Yeah. His name rhymes with <laughs> piss wedges. <laughs> um, and so anyway, that, I mean, th- these, th- this sort of thing is true for all sex workers, whether they decide to be radical or not. And some of them are quite conservative in their views, especially certain porn performers that they end up embodying radical stances just with their everyday lives. Even if they have no intention of doing so, it's kind of, um, I think Mark Twain called it something like an organic intellectual, like you become someone that embodies political, uh, political discourse, even if you don't mean to. Totally. Well, that's a very interesting take on it. I mean, I, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like most porn actors that I've heard talk about going into the industry have that a similar take on it, that it's actually being like leading like a radical lifestyle that's like genuinely subversive to the, not only the political climate, but just like the overall Western culture that we live in as well, sex positive as it is right yeah. now here. It's we're still, we're still, I mean, there's still a lot of progress to be made, obviously. Like there's still a long way to go. A lot of it is that nobody asks us because, uh, I mean, a lot of sex workers end up feeling this way. Maybe they end up feeling it after they start because Mm -hmm. they notice the sort of forces around them that are determining their lives. But a lot of people feel this way. The thing is leftists never ask us these questions because there's a general suspicion on the left of pleasure and uh, totally. And also there's this dumb Marxist socialist critique of porn and sex work as decadent bourgeois capitalism, um, which I think is completely idiotic. And so I, I think that that's where people will often go, you know, mm-hmm. and then just sort of run of the mill progressives idolize idiots like Gloria Steinem and stuff like that, who are totally anti-sex work and, 
Um, you know, and also also a CIA agent, by the way, as a matter of public record. I'm not conspiracy theorying that <laughs> out to you. Um, you know, it's just like they'll they'll adopt these you know sort of ideas without really thinking them through. Um, I think that <clears throat> you know even someone like Noam Chomsky, who uh, Noam Chomsky's done a lot of uh, awesome things. You know, someone asked him about porn once, and he was like, "Well, I." I think it's obviously exploitation of women, you know? Um, now I don't fault Noam Chomsky actually for saying this because he never, he, he has like 8 million books. Uh, he has like 8 million books and he never writes about porn or talks about porn. Someone just asked him point blank and he said, well, I'm not an expert. It's just my opinion, yeah. which is the proper way to have an opinion against sex work. If you're not going to be an expert or know anybody in sex work or whatever, it's like, okay, fine. No, I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. You know? Um, he hasn't made his career uh, talking out against porn or whatever. I don't like that he thinks that, and I think he should be smarter than that about it, but it's fine. Um, but even people like him who are just obviously intelligent people who might get thing. I mean, he gets things wrong all the time, but who, who, who might get things wrong sometimes, but generally has a good body of leftist work. They just don't know how to perceive or understand what's happening, you know, with it. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like, I mean, I can only think of one leftist maybe who might have touched on it in an intelligent way. And the only name that comes to mind is Gore Vidal. But I, I mean, did he write like any, anything about porn or like <laughs> that it connected to his political worldview or anything like that? I actually don't know if he wrote about porn. I mean, he definitely was, he definitely was fine with sex and sex work. Yeah. I mean, John Ronson actually just did probably the first good thing on porn ever to come out. And oh, was that good? I, I, I was actually really curious about that. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I, <clears throat> I helped him a lot with it. Um, he consulted with me a lot. I mean, I'm not the only porn performer, but John and I have known each other for a long time cause he interviewed me for his book. Um, so you've been publicly shamed. And so I helped him guide him through because there's a lot of like confusing perspectives and takes and people to listen to and not listen to in, in the sex work world. And so we were back and forth, but he did create something genuinely good about pornography. Um, that isn't completely a critical. Um, it does have some critique in there, but it's a critique founded in actually doing the work and talking to sex workers, porn performers, not starting with, here's a problem, you know, um, yeah. starting with, I know nothing. Let me just interact with people. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. I'm re- I just, what's the book called? Is that the title? Yet? It's, it's his, um, it's his audible audio series called the butterfly effect. Okay. Yeah. And it's not going to give you the, a full picture. It's just that it's one of the only good <laughs> yeah. th- things out there. And I don't know that people necessarily call John a leftist, but I mean, let's face it, you know, he, he, like wrote about secret military powers and, you know, hid in the bushes at Bohemian Grove. And, you know, I mean, he does real work. He's a real investigative journalist. I really dig him. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember the first time I heard him was actually in his uh, Bohemian Grove documentary. Um, And I've always been a fan of his, I disagree with him on, you know, certain other like specific things, but I like that he keeps an open mind and he's, He's willing to be controversial, but not like he's not like doesn't come off as like a contrarian or an ideologue. It's more natural. Alien. Yeah. And he's definitely seeking also to be fully human. You know, he is a journalist, but he doesn't he doesn't try to hide his personal responses to things, mm-hmm. which are often quite funny. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> he'll just put that in there so you can get you know, okay, well, John felt uncomfortable here, you know, like, 
he didn't want to be hugged or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. And I, I really appreciate that about him too. It's, there's no, um, there, there's no veneer of objectivity. And in that he actually gets to be more objective than most, most journalists, you know? Yeah. What do you think of, uh, did you ever see Louis Theroux's stuff on the porn industry? No. Okay. Cause it's, it seems, it seemed, I don't know. It seemed pretty critical, especially the first one. Cause he did it in like the mid nineties and it was a little more, I don't know if he actually went to like a max hardcore set, but it was like the other guy who got arrested and put in jail for. It was the obscenity, obscenity. The obscenity law. Yeah. It was the other guy. I think yeah. it was, it was Rob Black. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, the whole obscenity stuff is bonkers. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, think about what that's based on, which is, you know, if some, some things are meant to be hidden mm-hmm. and if they're not hidden, you go to jail. That's crazy. It's, it's a complete anti-transparency, like has a complete anti-transparency effect on culture. Like Absolutely. if you reveal these things, you're in trouble. By the way, the NSA is, looking at these things all the time and revealing them to themselves and to everybody in the office. But if you do it, like you're in trouble, you know? Well, it's not to sidetrack too much on the obscenity laws, but aren't they still technically in existence, but they just not enforced in that same way or. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's, it varies from place to place. Sure. But you have things, for instance, like it's not legal to shoot porn anywhere except in, California and it's not criminalized in New Hampshire and there's like a gray area in Nevada. Really? I mean, so you think about that kind of stuff, like <laughs> what, <laughs> like you can't make pornography legally in any of the other States. Now, no would they be enforced? I don't know. But yeah. Could you call the police on someone if you thought your neighbors were making porn and you were Christian fundamentalists yeah. and have them arrested? Of course. Interesting. Yeah. So do, I mean, you know, without getting anyone in trouble, I mean, people obviously still shoot porn in other states. Oh yeah, totally. And get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, I had no idea that there were laws like that. I mean, that's yeah, that's one of the interesting things about that era of like the obscenity laws is the things that they were thrown in jail for. The porn that I think Rob Black and Max Hardcore made is pretty commonplace today, like in in pop, almost like popular culture. You know, well, yeah, and so popular porn culture. I in say. the UK, the obscenity laws are bonkers and have just been up and down and up and down, up and down for a long time. And even though the obscenity laws sort of tumbled, um, now they have internet opt-in rules, um, which Cameron brought to, to into play. So basically you have to say, I want, you have to say to your internet provider, I want this. If you know, you have to opt in to get porn. It's actually a list of things. Porn information about anorexia, information about the occult, um, information about, yes, it's, it's all, it's very strange. Like, because porn, porn often just ends up and sex in general ends up being a canary in the coal mine for individual freedom. So Mm -hmm. they'll go for that first because it's easy for them to get a knee jerk response because people are so repressed and scared of having their sexuality revealed and have not looked at their own sexuality. So, you know, um, so they'll go for that. They'll put like, well, we don't want porn to endanger, you know, children or whatever the fuck yeah. dumb ass thing. And then they'll just throw all this other stuff in there with it. And this goes back a really long time, you know, like the fights over sex are not about sex almost any time. So even like 
if you want to go back centuries to like the Council of Trent, where the Catholic Church ultimately decided to paint towels over all the genitals and all their and all Catholic artwork, that was because Protestants were gaining power and they accused the Catholic Church of being too bodily. And so like, oh, you don't really care about God. You care about sensual pleasures. The Catholic Church didn't have a problem with showing dicks and 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 <laughs> and pussies in their artwork, right? It was not it, di- it didn't matter. So, yeah. but they painted over everything to like gain power over the Protestants. So that, that kind of move of utilizing sex, um, to gain power in some other way is very, very common. It happens with sex offender laws now where you just have people like up in the ante every time. Well, you're going to imprison sex offenders, you know, for in, in an election year, like, well, you're going to imprison sex offenders for 20 years. I'd imprison them for life. You know, it's kind of like the rhetoric with fighting ISIS or whatever. Like you find something that scares the shit out of people mm-hmm. and then you just keep pushing on it and being like, I'm the one that's tough on this, you know? And sex is just a really easy with sex is a really, really easy way for people to do that. You know, for people to seize power over something that, is part of our everyday lives and our thinking, you know, every hour and, you know, whatever. That's a really interesting concept. I mean, I never thought of it that way before, but it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, one of the best examples of, you know, using sex to gain some kind of power foothold seems to be the whole scare of sex trafficking. You know, I'm doing air quotes as I'm saying that because it implies basically human trafficking human slavery like modern slavery that's what like the i mean it's a kind of like coded language in a way um and it also implies underage sexual slavery as well in some circles um but that's but that's what how they often go after just regular prostitution um and it seems like in the last three or four years every time you hear about sex trafficking being out of control or whatever it's you there's usually response where it's some kind of law that'll treat any sex worker like they are involved in some kind of human trafficking operation. So, I mean, there is some legislation like coming down the pike right now that's directly about, you know, conflating the two, basically. Right. The Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, drafted by a senator in Ohio, which is, you know, supposed to be about sex trafficking, but actually... is about all sorts of things, including internet freedom, which is what a lot of sex related laws are about right now is sort of curtailing our internet freedom. So, um, basically you're allowed to sort of go after legally and and I think as a criminal offense websites that have anything to do with sex trafficking. So Google and Facebook and Twitter are fighting against these laws. And now the government is sort of saying, Oh no, like, see, it's these Silicon Valley fat cats that want to like promote sex trafficking, right? So don't be don't be convinced by them, including Kamala Harris, who I believe has a lot to do with the climate against uh, it for, for for these bills to arise in now. But basically, it, it one of the reasons why it's so important to these um, tech companies is because the lines between human trafficking and just plain old sex work are not ever distinguished um, because to do that <laughs> the federal government would have to admit that sex work is different than human trafficking so it loses a big sort of positioning point of, of its broad overreaching power so totally. right now the government suggests that it can wiretap any sex worker at once because sex workers are somehow linked to human trafficking this could include you know a, 
a, a girlfriend experience escort who makes, you know, like $4,000 for four hours, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, you know, lives whatever, or it could, or it could, you know, um, target a survival quote unquote survival sex, um, street walking sex worker who has nothing to do with human trafficking. It's just like, I just want to take care of my kids, you mm-hmm. know, could probably like, they could probably wiretap Cardi B, you know, for <laughs> it was sings Bodak yellow for being like having been a stripper if they want. I mean, the, the lines are so blurry. It's like very Patriot acty, yeah. you know, between human trafficker, sex worker, porn performer, whatever. When in fact, these lines are actually quite distinct, but yeah. the law refuses to make it so. And um, that's a huge problem. Well, yeah, that's really unfortunate. I mean, it seems like it's going to continue to be a problem. It just seems like there's just not enough education about sex workers and prostitution in general. And the taboo is still so strong. I mean, very often you'll see those like prostitution sting operation, you know, segments where it's just like a cop dressed as a sex worker pretending to be. And then, you know, John after John will come in the hotel room and then they'll just like arrest them all. And it seems like they've also integrated something into like sort of the penalties for getting caught with a sex worker is now you take a class on learning about sex trafficking. They, John they, schools. Yeah, yeah. They, they educate you on the dangers of like the world of human trafficking. Once again, like they conflate. Right. I feel like if you are a connoisseur of that kind of thing, um, You know, I mean, it's understandable you would want to make sure you're not exploiting the person that you're, you know, paying your paying for services. But like, I feel like just like any other services you pay for, like, I don't know. So it's just like the level of awareness is so on purpose low, I feel like, so that people just don't understand these nuances and the differences. Because the nuances are not like they don't really even have to be nuances. Like, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear that you can hire an escort um, in any major city and know that you're not getting a trafficked victim. It's just overblown. Yeah. The sex trafficking as, as if it's somehow woven its way into all escorting sites and, you know, and, and back page and the porn industry and stuff. It just is not so. Of course. And um, I mean, it really is, it's a lot like, you know, the reason to for war on drugs stuff you know, the war on, the war on sex, if the war on drugs is a war on consciousness, the war on sex is the oldest war on consciousness that, <laughs> that exists mm-hmm. because it's an altered state of consciousness to have sex. We get, it's an, it's a war on bodily autonomy. It's a war on all these things. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of similarities between this human trafficking nonsense as separate from the actual human trafficking stuff and the, the, the ways that people interact with sex workers, just like people doing drugs, we're not all militia men for Pablo Escobar. You know what I mean? It's not, it's just not the same. And it's not difficult to make those distinctions. Now, obviously like there's a certain point where, where, and there are certain places in the world where it might be a little more difficult to make those distinctions, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Like let's not make that presumption because it's just not true here. Yeah. And I mean, just from my perspective, like talking to you know, people who have, um, you know, part partaken in, you know, sex worker services. It seems to be like it's the, if it, ex- you know, if it exists, it's the minority of, of like the amount of 
sex workers out there. Like, for example, and this is my only counterpoint to this is like that, you know, there are other in- industries which will bring in a lot of people from foreign countries like Mexico, oftentimes like, um, you know, undocumented workers, like in the, in the um, what was that movie? Fast Food Nation, where it's like half of the movie is about sort of people being exploited, you know, paid low wages, you know, they don't speak English. So it's like, and I'm sure, you know, I guess my only argument would be there's got to be some of that going on in the world of prostitution, but just like any other industry, it's not the norm. And it's, so what is your response? Well, and look at, look at who's against prostitution, right? So Kamala Harris has had an endless tirade against sex work in California, partially under some second wave feminist bullshit, partially under some of this human trafficking stuff. At the same time, she wanted prisoners to stay. (laughs) She wanted to expand the power of the prison system. What could be more and like more human trafficking than uh, the United States prison system? That is human trafficking par excellence when you're forcing prisoners to work, which was part of her idea of why prisons should have expanded powers was so the prisoners could stay in there and work longer. I mean, it's crazy. It's just, it's that kind of stuff. And huge disconnect. I mean, for, you know, for her to take that stance on sex trafficking, but it's, it's, it's crazy. And she's, I mean, she's a very, she does all sorts of things, which are that seem from the outside to be really good. And I can't, I can't comment on all those things. She may well have a good spirit about those things and just be kind of dumb, you know, about sex work. I don't trust that that's true. I trust that that's true about Jill Stein. Jill Stein has this idiot perspective on sex work. However, all her sort of like positioning with the other issues is pretty good. And the green party reached out to me, um, to ask me like, and some other sex workers, like, what do you think about our platform? We want to change our platform. We want to do something that makes it, you know, that really takes in the reality of sex work instead of, um, just sort of living in this old narrative. So they were even like, well, maybe Jill Stein's like not going to get it right, but we as a party want to get it right. You know? And that's good. Yeah. That's awesome. And, but the democratic party doesn't have that, really going on for, I mean, if anything, as much as the GOP, um, does all sorts of horrible things about sex work and porn, you know, our first lady, you know, <laughs> is essentially, se- and our president are essentially sexual workers, you know, in, yeah. in a weird way, you yeah. know? So, but, um, I'm trying to say that the democratic party is not taking on that responsibility like the green party did. And so I don't trust that Kamala Harris's view within the context of her party is going to change. And in fact, if anything, you know, had, you know, Hillary Clinton become president, she would have had this cabinet. I'm sure of advisors, just idiot advisors. Like I can just imagine Lena Dunham being the person like talking about what we should do with sex work in the country and Gloria Steinem and just these people that, have no grasp on the realities of, of sex work. And um, I know I'm talking about things in sort of a vague way. I'm like, well, it's just not true. The, the reason why I'm talking about it in this sort of principled way is that um, you can just look up this information. The, be- the best, the best place to like go is Amnesty International, which did this huge report on why decriminalization of sex work is, uh, 
is like best for sex workers instead of just shutting it down or lumping it in with human trafficking. Tons of research, different areas of the world. They came up with this conclusion. And then <laughs> these like second wave feminists and Lena Dunham and Gloria Steinem and Meryl Streep, all these political experts apparently wrote a letter condemning Amnesty International. You know, what? I mean, what kind That's of so fucking strange. garbage person? You know, well, because they're neoliberal. You know, yeah. they're essentially neoliberals. So it's like, um, who are the neoliberals who are in movies? But I mean, even someone like, I mean, as much as I despise Lena Dunham, I, I feel like even she would have a more intelligent outlook on sex workers. Cause I she mean, is a sex worker. I mean, she, she appears naked in her show, like every other episode, <laughs> yeah. but just because you don't actually see her pussy going on to the dick <laughs> she's not a sex worker yeah like it's just it's just idiotic like she's not traffic so she, basically it's a class issue for her mm -hmm. like oh well anybody that wants to make as much money as me doing a little more than i do like fuck them <laughs> like yeah, yeah. let's make them illegal and th and then the, the way they frame is like well we don't want we don't want the poor women who are doing sex work to be punished. We want the Johns to be punished. Like you were talking about the John schools or whatever, Yeah, yeah. you know? And it's like, what, what? So you want their means to <laughs> making money to be completely strangled, yeah. but you don't want anything bad to happen to them. Also, you don't want them to be able to go to the police because then the people that they see, you know, like if, if they do have a bad encounter with, you know, a John or something like that, or whatever, you don't want them to be able to go to the police because then the police will hunt down, you know, their, again, their means of making money. And then, you know, they'll be basically feared by other clients and all. it's just like, it, it's just crazy. It's just not thought through at all because people's attitudes about sex are idiotic. Sex works its way through everything we do. So the, but, but we pretend that it works its way through nothing we do except sex itself. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's the big problem with our culture. It's a basic lesson of psychoanalysis which we really would do well to retain, which is that sex isn't everything, you know? And that doesn't mean that everything's sexual. It doesn't mean because I'm holding this microphone right now and talking to you that I want to like suck this microphone's dick. You know what I mean? <laughs> it can mean it in very complicated ways. It can mean it in very interesting ways, you know? Um, it, it can mean it in, in much more complex ways than that simplistic idiotic idea that people have of, of, of Freud's, you know, rather complex and interesting notion of how culture works, but to just deny <laughs> that sex is nowhere except in sex and like watching porn in a dark room is just a stupid, you know, you're right. It's in, it's in all sorts of interactions. Well, you brought up, you're the one who brought up Freud and I actually kind of wanted to, I was going to go there a little bit later, but let's go there now. Um, but someone who's like sort of fascinating to me is, is Kinsey. So is there, any uh, like sex researchers or academics today who feel that Kinsey was, you know, had was convoluted or not scientific enough in the same way. A lot of like psychoanalysts will sort of look back on Freud now and be like, he had a lot of great ideas, but you know, some of these were maybe took some leaps. Like the subconscious stuff is maybe a little bit wishy-washy, but then at the same time, like, is there anyone since Kinsey who's come out with any like groundbreaking sex research and is like, look like this, you know, and then it maybe has changed paradigms. Like I, I'm not aware of anything. So maybe yeah. 
yeah. fill in my knowledge gaps. There. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> that's a very sexual phrase, Robbie. Um, <laughs> um, I'm about to fill in all your knowledge gaps. Um, I mean, I think, I think it's, there's an actually an interesting intersection between those two questions, because when I say psychoanalysis, I don't mean psychology, psychologists, therapists, all that kind of stuff. Psychoanalysis really is about Freud and the unconscious and how that's evolved over time. So most recently, um, in the most major way revised by this French psychoanalyst and philosopher Jacques Lacan, who, if you're into Zizek, Zizek's constantly talking about Lacan and has really revived interest in Lacan in, in our culture, I think in a good way, because he's really simplified it for a lot of people or not simplified it, but made it accessible to a lot of people. Um, and, basically showing like, look, if you understand psychoanalysis, you'll understand culture and how culture works better and how politics work mm -hmm. a bit better. You'll understand people's drives. There's a really great book. It's very easy to read called, um, enjoying what we don't have. Um, psychoanalysis and capitalism, I think it's called is the subtitle. I'm, I might be getting that wrong, but it's sort of about, you know, how we, or the, or the political project of psychoanalysis, I think is actually the, the subtitle, but it, by Todd, Cowan. And, um, anyway, it, it sort of investigates how like our sexual, our drives and our sexuality and all that kind of stuff intersects with like what we do politically and all how, you know, wanting things and, and all that really can, you know, what, where those drives come from, how they intersect with sort of erotic, whatever. Now, so when you ask me about is there sex research done to me, the most exciting sexual research, which doesn't necessarily focus directly on sex in an apparent way is the evolution of psychoanalysis into sort of political projects. Um, I find that really interesting. I find that really exciting and I disagree with so much of it, but I think it's awesome, you know? And part of it is because it's not this like to me, bullshit, like, look at the brain lights up when we do this and it lights up in this other way. When we do this, like neuroscience mapping junk, um, that doesn't really have a real foundation where, you know, it's like, Oh, someone jerks off to porn and their brain lights up. It's like, well, you're so like it does when they play tennis too. You know what I mean? <clears throat> like the people start from these weird, these weird assumptions and then do brain mapping or, or, you know, um, you know, Kinsey was really comprehensive, but to me, it's too stratified, right? Like he's like, well, this many people do gay stuff and this many people do straight stuff. And then there's this whole spectrum in between, but like identifying the acts or the people in that way in the first place is completely bonkers to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, get heterosexual and homosexual are terms that were invented in the 19th century. They're relatively recent terms to categorize people in a certain way. To me, a better philosophy around sex is the thing that will be that is the thing that will take us further, not necessarily more detailed research. And the best way for you to have a better philosophy about sex is to have more sex. <laughs> so, you know, great. That's good news for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you have, you think that the Kinsey scale, like one of his most famous for is sort of fundamentally flawed in this, in the way that it sort of tries to categorize someone's sexual orientation and like their amount of experiences and like such and such. I think he's awesome. I mean, I think everything he did is great. I just, and, and I think at a specific moment in time, it was really needed. Right. Yeah. Just even, 
I mean, a lot of people have done this before, but really pushing forward, like women like sex too. I mean, what a no brainer, but at the time he did it, you know, it was really important. I think his cataloging is really important. I I view him more as like a naturalist in some way, like someone who like goes to a remote Island and like writes down everything he sees. He's really good in that capacity. But as far as a theory builder, I think he's not that important. So, um, you know, it's like, cause talk, talk about homosexual acts. It's like, you know, it, <laughs> what's a homosexual act is different from context to context. So mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, is our two guys like who have sex with each other in prison gay, you know, like I understand he did a scale for that, but would they identify as gay outside of that context? Probably not. Are two men who sleep in the same bed, you know, engaging in a homosexual act? Well, not until really the 20th century before that it was not so gay yeah, are people yeah, yeah. who hold two men who hold hands gay well not in the middle east you know it's like it's just very it's just much more complicated than than the way that we view it and i think he probably had a more complicated view of it than the simplistic way we take it but i'm just talking about how it's been absorbed in the culture you know of course so since him i guess has there been anybody that you really like if you're name like a couple people who you really value in terms of like their, you know, philosophies on sex or their like, you know, or even people in the academics who actually do re- like the like similar kinds of research to Kinsey. Is there anybody out there today or since, or even just since Kinsey, you know, who may, may already be dead? Like, I don't know. I wish um, there were more. There really aren't that many, which is the crazy thing. And part of it is because, for me to really be sexually radical person, you have to have radical politics. And unfortunately sex positive people often don't have radical politics. They're, they're radical in so much as they like, you know, want you to know how to put a condom on a banana or something like that. And like, and how to not get herpes or what, you know, but, but I wish more people were doing work. My, my, one of my closest friends, Dr. Chris Donahue he who now is um, co-hosting Loveline with Amber Rose, you know, he's in the sort of pop culture sphere, but he's a pretty radical thinker when it comes to sex. Um, and he does have radical politics, but, um, but I want people who have like a, like a huge vision of the entire world. Like those are the people that really excite me. Now, Chris really does have like a big vision, so I don't mean to downgrade him, but I want people like, Freud, who's trying to understand the entirety of the world, you know, that's a whole different project to me. That's so exciting. If you think that sex is really sort of fundamental to human experience, it should tell you something about everything, you know, and that to me is what I want. And so there are other people, you know, I mean, I, you know, uh, my friend Mona El Tahawi, who wrote, um, uh, headscarves and hymens, why the middle East needs a sexual revolution. She has a really great view on sex, but and she's doing radical work in her context. I don't agree with everything she says, by the way. She says some things that I think are problematic. Who cares? She's fucking, she, the general spirit of her work is awesome. It was the same thing with like Camille Paglia, who also says some, who says some reprehensible things, in fact, but I think the overall, because I want people, I'm like essentially a utopianist in a way. Like I want people who have like a better view for the entirety of everything that's rooted in sex somehow. So, you know, one of my heroes is this guy, Charles Fourier, who I think 18th century. I, I love that. He's one of my all time heroes and I don't know when he was alive, but whatever the fuck. <laughs> you know? And he had this huge vision of the world that was based on pleasure. Like, 
down to everything. He was like, we're going to have oceans that taste like lemonade. That was his, like, that's the big thing that everybody knows him for. But he also said, we're going to have a sexual minimum where everybody gets to have a certain amount of sex. So no one's miserable. And all our jobs will like involve fucking somehow and planets will be bisexual and make love to each other. And, you know, and, and practical ideas came out of Fourier's vision. It wasn't just this like, you know, ridiculous thing. We're talking about a long time ago where nobody was saying shit like this publicly. And that's the kind of like, I want that level of insanity. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's really exciting because sex is crazy. Like if you, if you get on board with sex and like this thing that's really repressing and fucking everybody up and you get that down, like suddenly the, you realize that so many things are possible that are never possible. Like, most people don't break through the impossibility of feeling okay about their sex lives, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you can get through that, like you suddenly think "Mm, maybe we actually can do things a little better, you know? Yeah. That's, I think it's a really healthy and and, and, an interesting way to look at it because I, I mean, I, I've never really thought about it that way before, but yeah, I mean, if you're going to incorporate some kind of like, you know, utopian or other, kind of comprehensive worldview or philosophy without incorporating sex into it, you're missing like such a vital part of the equation. So it makes a lot of sense. I and mean, what kind of utopia is like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it's like when people talk yeah. about heaven being boring cause no one's yeah. fucking, it's like you a know? Jehovah's witness utopia where it's like animals walking around and like the eating, the earth is eaten and green right, or like and, a Spartan Marxist utopia, yeah. you know? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think, and and the flip side of that are people who think that they have a comprehensive worldview, but don't include sex. Like I did this podcast about conspiracy theories and, um, we can talk about some of that maybe in a little bit, um, too, if you want to talk about Pizzagate or any of that kind of, I have a question later that'll tie into that pretty well. Yeah. So, but I did this, I did this conspiracy theory podcast and talked about the sort of basically the governmental war on sex. Right. And I don't, I I try not to veer into things that I don't know. Like I can theorize about, you know, shadow governments and deep state and all that kind of stuff. But if I don't actually have knowledge about something, I don't try to, I try not to form a a definitive theory about it that, and that by the way, does not mean I don't think conspiracies exist. I, I have a feeling that some of them are very real, but I was just talking about very on the, like obvious things that you could point to, that were ways in which the government tried to regulate sex and people who listen to a show, which is like one of the most, it is the most popular conspiracy theory podcast. I think lost their shit when I was on, like they were like this faggot, this like fudge packer, like blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Like, Oh, this porn, he wants to like all, all different angles. Like he wants to drain our creative energy by having us discharge it with orgasm. Like, or, or is like he he wants us to be able to fuck kids or like the porn industry <laughs> exploits women. Whatever angle you want, you know, into like why I'm a wrong person. Um, and I was just like, man, like you guys want to like fight the deep state, but you can't handle two dudes kissing. Like you're fucked. Like (laughs) you're the first people that when like the fucking David Ike politicians pull off their masks and reveal the lizard, you're the first ones that will be sucking the lizard people's dicks. You know, like, (laughs) like if you can't handle the basic human relations. And so that's the flip side of it. It's like, if you, if you can't handle basic human relations, how are you going to handle these giant political like issues? You got to get that's, you got to do that work on yourself. You know, I think it's super important. I mean, that the 
because so many people have even the people who think they're the most sex positive, like evolved people there are, there's people have fundamental sexual hangups that, you know, hold them back in life and in all other areas. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it does go really, really deep. You know, we like to think of ourselves as a very liberated culture, but I mean, the ideal, you know, legalized sex work, you know, that kind of jumps into our next question. Just the, the, the sex economy, the state of the sex economy right now, in in this country seems to be booming saying earlier about if you want to take that path and like liberate yourself or feel like it's a radical act become a sex worker or even just to casually monetize your sexuality like even if you're like i want to try this you know for a couple weeks like it seems like there's the possibility on the internet right now that never existed before where really anyone if they wanted to take that leap can do it fairly easily and even make some money like on the side. Um, so, I mean, is it, am I imagining that it's thriving that much or? Yeah. So <laughs> you are, you're not imagining, you're not imagining the availability, right? Like it is like, you know, like plain jewel covers on YouTube, uh, totally available to everybody. Like you can learn the guitar tabs <laughs> and play, right? But um, <laughs> I don't know why I picked Jewel. <laughs> it's just some some ridiculous thing, right? Like it's available. It's available to people, yes. But <laughs> the the sort of um, the things that will happen to you if you do it are all still in place and all still will fuck you up if you're not ready for it, right? That's like, a great point. Yeah, you'll get fired from your job, not hired from another job. Your parents will hate you. Your partner will hate you. Um, you'll be, uh, you can be arrested if you don't follow the right, you know, regulations. Again, it's illegal to film those porn, you know, in so many places. Um, it's, uh, if you, you, you can't use PayPal, PayPal finds out that you're a sex worker in any way, including a porn performer, which is legal in California. They'll shut down your account. Wow. Which means that you also can't have anything that uses PayPal. That's also true of Venmo, which is owned by PayPal. It's no true kidding. of wow. most other online pro well, bill processors. Was, did Piero Midiar have anything to do with that? What's that? <laughs> so did Piero Midiar have anything to do with I that? Don't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peter Thiel just wanted to cover his tracks when he found a PayPal or something like that. But anyway, but um, you, uh, you can have your bank account shut down as part of Operation Choke Point. I love that that's what it was called, <laughs> which um, was a federal initiative to tell banks to shut down anything that, was, that could be related to money laundering. So there were porn stars who were just going to the bank and finding out that their bank accounts were shut down and having no idea what the fuck was happening until this like Operation Choke Point stuff came out. You can, um, you can have... You, if you if you're arrested for uh, sex work um, and let's say you're HIV positive, you can be charged with manslaughter in lots of states. If you go and do sex work again, there are all these things, all these regulations in place for something that is illegal. We, we, most sex workers, by the way, we don't want it legalized. We want sex work decriminalized because we don't want these regulations because they're awful and politicians are the least capable people of making any laws about sex because they're the most sexually repressed people in the world. 
by nature of the way our government works. So who the fuck, like, is someone who can't even talk about like wanting to fuck someone publicly, like is going to make horrible laws about who you fuck, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, and how you fuck and all that kind of stuff. So it, there, there's this whole like vast field of, of consequences, shaming, regulation, le like um, legislation, all that kind of stuff that will mess you up if you're not ready for it. So, you know, it's like, yeah, you can do that, but you got to know what you're getting yourself into. And I always say to people, like, if you want to do one porn, most you, you can probably get away with it, right? Mm -hmm. Without anybody knowing. But if you do two, you might as well do 300 because yeah, yeah, yeah. at a certain point, you're just going to be findable. Like it just, it's just like anything. Yeah. And you don't know, maybe if you make one, like everybody, like it'll be a viral hit and everybody will yeah, know, yeah, you know? Yeah. So you just got to be... I tell people like it really has to fit in with the context of a vision for the rest of your life. And as sex workers, we have to take that on too. I mean, I want, I want to give some responsibility to sex workers themselves. It's not that we're just victims of this culture. Like know what you're getting yourself into before you start, you know? And I know not everybody feels that they have the choice and some people feel like they, they got to do sex work because they need to make money and they don't have another option, you know? So, okay, fine. But just know you know, some of the things that you're going to have to deal with and build some inner fortitude to be able to contend with those things. You know, when I was, when I was originally asking the question, I was in my mind, I was thinking more like solo amateur porn, you know? Um, and then like actually being in a, you know, a, a porn with a, with a, another, um, porn performer or something. I feel like that's like a whole nother level, but at the same, I, I understand what you're saying though. I mean, even though all that stuff seems like the technology and the internet's accelerating that availability and make, you know, there's tons of it out there. There's Chatterbait, which is kind of a fascinating, if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's basically hundreds and hundreds of live streaming cams. Most of them are free and you can kind of decide to pay into them at your own discretion. And it kind of creates this it's an interesting dynamic. It's one way to describe it. And then you have websites like Xtube and PornTube, which let you upload your own amateur videos and even charge money for them. Um, and then Seeking Arrangements, which is kind of more like you negotiate sex work with um, oftentimes people who aren't, you know, who are more casual sex workers or don't even, wouldn't even consider themselves a sex work worker. So there's all these new options, but you make a really good point that the culture and all the systems in place in our culture and these all these laws that are really underhanded in a lot of ways, what you're describing, make it, it's kind of, it's almost incompatible. You still have to really take, take it on yourself and really know what you're getting into because the, I mean, the consequences could be devastating, especially if you like, you know, don't grow up in a liberal family. But even if you do grow up in a liberal family, it seems encouraging that there's all this availability and the technologies made. It seems like it's make it's sort of lifting more taboo. But what you're saying is it's not necessarily. There's still so much taboo in place. Right. Taboo and taboo enforced by people with guns. Right. So <laughs> it's like you don't like I'm I might say I'm a sexually liberated person. Right. However, who is somehow overcome a lot of these um, issues um, of discrimination and stigma and culture, like I've overcome some of it. But the sex negativity in our culture shows up every single day to meet me. So you don't ever get sexually liberated. You have to constantly sexually liberate yourself every single day. So you have to be ready for that or you're in trouble. And so, 
you know, and, and you also have to understand that these laws shift, right? And there's all sorts of ways. It's like when the, um, when the government raided the rent boy, like offices and like took all the information. So rent boy is this big, um, gay escorting site and nobody had ever really like in this huge of a way gone after male escorts before, but they went after the CEO and it was obviously like political posturing. Like there was no reason for them to do it, except I think they wanted to seize the records to see who the clients were because some of the client emails went directly through Rent Boy. So it was a surveillance bust, I think, essentially, because there are I, I think one, they wanted to see who the clients were, but two, they wanted to protect the clients who were in government from being exposed because there were just some recent um, sort of scandals with political figures and male porn stars. So they raided the rent boy offices, busted everybody. And so then, you know, statute of limitations, anybody that they saw that had worked for rent boy in like seven years, you know, the past seven years, people were terrified. They're like, are they going to come after us? Now they didn't, they went for basically the people that were, you know, that, you know, that ran rent boy and gave them essentially a slap on the wrist. Thankfully, I'm glad that they did, but that slap on the wrist also made it apparent that it had nothing to do, you know, whatever. So again, sex will be used in a way to get other shit, right? So whatever stands in the line between people in power and what they want, they might use sex as a positioning point to get it. So even if you're totally fine with how things are today, you got to be ready for things changing two years down the line, three years down the line and how people are going to treat you and, and approach you. I mean, another thing is like, imagine you're like a sex worker. Everything's cool in your life, but you are like, you know, maybe like your life's all set. You make a little extra money from doing camming and maybe you have like one client that you see once a month, you get busted, right? For one of those things, you know, for, for doing it in an illegal way or whatever. And then like you get that slapped on yourself. You can't travel to other countries. Like it, your freedom of movement becomes restricted because of like the level of hysteria that surrounds some of these things in other countries. It's like, it just, there's, there's just this whole realm of consequences that, you know, I took them on because I, I ultimately was just like, yeah, like this stuff is bullshit. So I'm going to take it on to be like, fuck you. Like I don't, I'll be, I'll try to be the line in the sand, you know, um, that's racist. Cause I'm half Syrian. <laughs> um, but, but I, but I want, I'll be, you know, I, I'll take this on as being this sort of line in the sand. So other people don't have to go through it, but you know, not that it's that heroic. I mean, obviously I get something out of it and I get to be the person that says, I'll be the line in the sand. But I, but, but I do like, you know, like, but people don't realize like, that everybody has to be the line in the sand if you're going to do it. Like you have to be fucking ready, you know? And it might just be that you, you do it, you do three porn movies and then like five years down the line, you meet someone and you fall in love with them and you either tell them that you did three porn movies and, or they find out somehow cause you didn't tell them and they're like, fuck you. I can't be with you. You're a whore. You know, it's like even just, just that's much more common than some of the other things I'm talking about. That's hard, you yeah. know? Yeah, no, I can imagine. I mean, it's, and what you were, I mean, what you were saying earlier about how sex has traditionally been used to gain power for other sort of political moves. It seems like that's, you know, this is just me sort of 
speculating about, but it seems like uh, that paradigm could be used eventually to crack down on the internet itself. The more that the availability of porn um, is just, you know, it keeps accelerating and accelerating all these websites I already mentioned, more websites like, um, um, you know, more, more sex worker uh, classified ad type websites. Do you see like another sort of evangelical like way, like backlash wave coming at some point in the future? I mean, cause I don't, I mean like in my naive mindset, I almost feel like we're, we've somehow moved past that point. And that's probably very naive of me to think, you know, that like, we're not going to, does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people think that we're somehow progressing, you know, sexually in, in Western culture, but it's just not true. Like I say that the way I characterize it is we have a lot of new archaic laws. So, um, you know, like this sexting thing amongst teenagers. Now, if you're like under 18 and you send another teenager a picture of your naked body, like you're a sex offender. You could be insane. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Right. Or, you know, um, again, like the obscenity laws, there's also a thing in the UK now where if they think that you're somehow linked to any kind of child porn thing, even if you're, even if there's no evidence, but they just have suspicion, they can monitor your sex life, which is a bizarre thing. Like you have to report in, they monitor you daily. Um, there's the wiretapping thing I was talking about before. There's also just like when you're talking about internet freedoms or other freedoms, I wrote an article a long time ago, unfortunately for vice, um, which <laughs> we'll have to talk about that later. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But called "Fat for Freedom," <laughs> which was just about how porn is used as a canary in the coal mine. And I referenced some of the obscenity laws I was talking about before. But there are historical precedents for this. So, like in that article, I write about how, like the masturbation scare, like the church actually didn't really care that much about masturbation. Someone wrote a pamphlet about jerking off and how it was bad for your health. Basically it was like a quack doctor who wanted to make money and was like, are you sick? Here's the real cause. It's that you've been masturbating. And I, and this doctor who was the writer of the pamphlet, but pretended with someone else has the cure. So, so this became a hit. Like this became like the essential, like, like I saw that story in road to Wellville. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. It's like a character in the movie who's like saying shit like that. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. So it's like snake oil salesman. Right. So, uh, snake oil is an interesting pun in this case, but it was like, you know, 18, I think 18th century. Yeah. 18th century. And, uh, this became this, this 18th century viral video, right? Basically, it's essentially this pamphlet, everybody bought it. Then other people started writing pamphlets just like it because it did really well. And suddenly like masturbation as a health problem became, you know, part of culture and the church wanting to seize more power was like, yes, that's right. We hate masturbation too. And we're going to tell everybody how to control their young boys to stop them from masturbating. And then, you know, so everybody started inspecting, you know, uh, what, what their kids were doing with their genitals. What are you thinking of? You should be thinking of the church instead. And they started inspecting nuns vaginas, which they said would sweat well if they masturbated so like this huge craze of you know it started with like one little thing that people in power knew they could seize on to reestablish their everyday presence in people's lives you know so there are precedents for this constantly you know the sex panic about sex offenders and sexual predators is another great one we know that most um most people that uh 
molest kids, first of all, aren't pedophiles. They're child molesters, which is a very different thing. It happens situationally. It's not their sexuality. So most people who are child molesters do it situationally, and they have the lowest recidivism rate of almost any like violation against a person you know, of any crime, right? So they're not going to do it again, but we have this idea that it's like 99% of them will do it. You know, like, no, that's not true. But that gets used, like, protect your children, protect your children. Okay, I'm going to be the politician that protects your kids. So we're also going to make a rule where if you're a sex offender, you're on the registry for five years, 10 years, 20 years for life. You have to go door to door and tell people you can't live within this range of children. You know, like you can't be within like 500 feet of where children gather. Okay, so we know that a sex offender lives here. I'm the politician that's going to seize power. So I'm actually going to put a playground in this district. So that person has to move because we need predators out of our neighborhoods. Even though we know most sec- most child molesters know the victim that they molest. Yeah. So the idea that they would molest a strange kid in a playground is completely bonkers and doesn't have anything to do with the data. So it's like this, all these ways that it gets used for political power, positioning, all that kind of stuff. It could be the internet. It could be some idiot posturing congressperson who puts a playground in to like just harm somebody who did a fucking fucked up thing 10 years ago and is now just trying to reclaim their life because they had sex with a 16 year old when they were 24 Mm -hmm. or something like that. You know, it's just like all this, like all this madness, you know, around sex, it always happens, you know? And it's because again, we don't have any clarity around it. If we had clarity around actually what happens with sex offenders, how to treat them, how to help victims who have been, you know, like the victims of sex offenders, what the difference between pedophilia and child molestation is, what the recidivism rate is. We could do so much to help victims and, properly deal with it but instead it's like whips up into a moral panic and you see this with porn you see it with sex work you see it with whatever you see it with blowjobs i mean you can see with like aids and hiv everywhere sex shows up it gets sort of mistreated for people's you know people's aims yeah i mean it's it makes a whole lot of sense i mean the way you broke down you know the recidivism rate of child molesters that's very interesting yeah i mean it makes a lot of sense. Um, I get, and I guess, uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the conservative political climate right now around sex, because Trump is a Republican and he's the president. We know some of his intersexual thoughts. We've heard them on tape. I don't put anything past him in the sense that I wouldn't be surprised if he put, try to get some kind of anti-porn legislation or something in place just because of how, nuts he is and just like appealing to his sort of base like his base i could see would really be thrilled by some kind of some moral crackdown or something like that but there was an interesting interesting incident recently where ted cruz was caught on 9-11 jerking off to um porn it was actually it seemed like it might have been a little bit like voyeurism porn too it was like a girl watching a couple fuck yeah it wasn't like totally, it wasn't the most vanilla porn that I would expect. It was like, it was, it was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then he later was interviewed about it. And he said something very interesting in the interview where he says that it's okay to manipulate one's genitals if you're a Christian or something like that. And I would just thought that was a very odd. Now, I mean, maybe I'm completely naive about Do this. Do you actually use the word manipulate? I don't know. I, I might be paraphrasing. Love, I would love if it. that were his Freudian slip. It's okay to uh, drone strike your own balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Like, 
if you know, is he just saying that because it's like, like has evangelical Christianity moved out of the pit of masturbation is evil or is he just saying that to save face on a, a TV interview? I mean, I haven't checked in with any evangelicals lately, but like, I mean, first of all, aren't we all inspired to masturbate on September 11th? Yeah, now, um, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it was one of those things where when that Ted Cruz thing happened, the tweet, basically what you're referring to is their tweet went up. He favorited a tweet. He favorited a tweet, yeah. And it was up for like an hour before or two hours or three hours or something like that. I don't know how long, but yeah. before it was unfavorited. And so everybody saw, oh my gosh, Ted Cruz favorited a porn tweet, right? Now the, the, the fury around it and the, everybody freaking out about it just revealed to me, like you guys, the, the way everybody was talking about it was like, you guys are all just as fucked up as Ted Cruz about your sexuality. Cause you think this is some funny, crazy thing and yeah, how yeah. dare you and whatever. And some people were like, well, no, it's about the hypocrisy. I'm like, okay, it may be about the hypocrisy of some GOP person, like, you know, but. However, like you're making this big joke about how dumb and crazy and gross porn is. So like, what about your hypocrisy? And also like, are you telling everybody the porn you jerk off to? No. Well, then you're no better than Ted Cruz, you know? So, um, (laughs) so anyway, so just, just to say all that at the outset, um, far be it for me to ever defend Ted Cruz's like anything, (laughs) but, um, I think, I don't, I mean, I think more pronounced than any sort of Christian allowance of jerking off is the, you know, still the panic about it. There's this whole sort of no fap movement, which is like supposed to be, porn kills love is another, like, you know, they're, they're all tied together. Started by Mormons. Um, although the, really? the oh, no, f- these are set. Yeah. No fap was started by Mormons, but it was a secular movement. That's what they say. But we just happen to be Mormons. It's yeah. like the Christian science monitor. Like it's not like the Christian science monitor, <laughs> like the secular paper from the church. Like <laughs> y- this really has an ideological component to it, obviously. Or, um, you know, you have, you have, um, people who, you know, talking very much about porn addiction, how to overcome porn addiction, which is just a bullshit. Porn addiction is a bullshit thing. And so is sex addiction, but we, we can, we can talk about that or not. I mean, these are just two idiot concepts, but I, I think not to say that there aren't compulsions surrounding sex. Of course there are, but using an addiction model is not appropriate. It doesn't help victims. The fact that they try to match up the models and fit it into an AA model. Yeah. It seems very and also, how do you know what a sex addiction is in a sex negative culture? You would never be able to exactly, say, yeah, which is yeah. why people who are in conservative areas report higher levels of sex and porn addiction because they feel bad about doing it like twice. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Um, I think that that kind of stuff is more pronounced for the right. I, I think if if there is a porn bill passed, first of all, I think that there would be a huge, huge, huge outcry, which would actually maybe be good um, that we would have. I don't know. Maybe I'm overestimating people's ability, but I think there would be an outcry that was framed around internet freedom. So totally, people yeah. would get upset and say, this is about internet freedom. Yeah. Um, they still wouldn't claim the ability to say like, this is about porn and we should have access to sexual imagery because it's a human right. But okay, whatever. Um, but I think, <laughs> but I think part of it would be, it was like how John Ashcroft, it was said that he had like, he was cataloging all the porn in the world, like, 
and it was to like end child pornography or whatever. And it was like, uh, or like how the Vatican support supposedly has all the porn in the uh-huh. world, you know? And like, I, I would view it as that way. I view it as like, they want asymmetrical access, which is what they want to everything. They want asymmetrical access to who can, who has privacy. They want to be able to look in on us, but they don't want us to be able to look in on them ever. They want asymmetrical access to sexual imagery so they can do whatever they want with it. But then they can also manipulate us by leaking sexual imagery out in ways that will control us like advertisers do like, Mm -hmm. you know, Oh, we're going to show you like, a, a woman in a bikini and then you're going to get your dick's going to get a semi and then we're going to tell you to buy a fucking computer like mm-hmm. porn's so much more honest than that it's like we're going to show you two people fucking and you can come like yeah. like the cum shot ends up being like the computer for the advertising or marketing firm right so so the, they would use it like that they would be like well we're going to stop you from being able to consummate your arousal so we can use the power of sexual arousal to get you to do shit that we want even more I feel like that would be part of the aim, but uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I also think gratefully, uh, you know, sex workers, (laughs) when, when it was the department of justice, right. Or maybe, Oh no, it was Homeland security rated rent boy. There was like, um, you know, and, and, and they were like, I was, I was wondering how many, Escorts would come out and be like, well, I slept with this politician and this politician and this person, the FBI and blah, blah, No, None of us really did it. But I was just thinking if we all just kind of raised our hands and said like, have you had sex with a major politician? If you raised your hand, it would just be like a gust of wind that like knocked down. You know what I mean? It'd just be so, it would just be so many people. So I kind of wonder if that keeps some of it in check a little bit too. I don't know. But then Jessica Drake, do you remember this? The porn star when she came out and said that Donald Trump like propositioned her for sex and I don't remember that. No. Oh, you don't. Um she's she came out. Jessica's awesome, by the way. She's she was not the kind of person who would just bullshit about this. I don't think she really did it for publicity. She did it to be like Donald Trump's a scumbag, just so you know. She came out and said Donald Trump um, propositioned me for sex and was rather forceful, aggressively, like tried to get me to have sex with him. You know, she, it wasn't, it, it wasn't assault, but it was pretty coercive. And, mm-hmm. um, I just want the world to know, you know, I don't think she really got anything out of it other than, mm-hmm. than saying it. So obviously if Jessica came out and said that, you know, there's a lot of other people, you know? And so I, I sometimes wonder if that maybe keeps it in check a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's a good, it's, it's a good point. Yeah, it probably does. I would imagine. I mean, well, that's the whole, and we'll go into that a little bit next, but that's the whole argument that the Pizzagate proponents make is they, you know, it's all one big blackmail scheme. Since every politician is in on the child sex trafficking, they can't, you know, they're all part of it. So that's how they're all, that's how the, the deep state keeps them all at, you know under their thumb. Yeah. Even, even Barbara Lee was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I think, yeah, like pizza gate, pizza gates a really good thing to talk about because you, I'm totally happy to admit that, um, I believe that people and in institutions in power fuck and kill kids sometimes. Like, I don't think you have to look too far for historical precedence of that. You can see that in various institutions. And so I wouldn't put it past, our government to have done something like that either. However, what I want to know is why the fuck people suddenly care about children's lives when it's like some white kid from Connecticut 
you know, or like whatever. It's like, as a matter of public policy, totally out there without any fact finding at all, your government has been killing children, (laughs) like many children has been supporting governments that like the Israeli government that clearly murders whole families. Mm -hmm. Where the fuck were you? Why do you now care about Pizzagate? It seems like a giant distraction to me um, for people that want to go on proof seeking missions when the proof is right in front of them that the government kills children. Like if we lived in a culture that demanded that we did not kill kids in Pakistan with drones, we would live in a culture that, would do more to make sure politicians didn't kill kids at some pizza joint or (laughs) whatever, you know? So like it becomes a special case because sex is involved, you know, which uh, if it, if it were true, be horrific, but it just seems to me like this is a distraction. And I know it's a distraction because there's such a discrepancy about what you people care about, you know, uh, when it comes to, when it comes to kids. Yeah. And, and back to the no fap thing really quick, it seems like, and maybe your perception on this is different. You can tell me <laughs> that the alt-right in general um, and the whole red pilled movement when it comes to like, you know, the, the wouldn't even call them the alt-right at that point. It's like proto alt-right mindset. I mean, Mike Cernovich comes from sort of the red pilled movement, you know, before he became political. Um, and I've always gotten a hint of not a hint a of, torrent of this is the most sexually repressed bullshit I've ever seen, not under the guise of evangelical Christianity, but really very similar, but taking on this sort of aggressive, hyper-masculine, you know, version of it where it's like vulgar, but it does seem very puritanical. Yeah. There's this whole group. You're right. It's like this idea that masculinity is like I have total control over my bodily environment. That's my that's my gorilla mindset, you know. I remember on Chapo Trap House they were talking about like I, they were reading bits of the book, which were something like, if you're hot, like take control of your life and put on a fan, you know. <laughs> like it was like the most basic stupid stuff. And I think it it was like this whole idea of Like, I totally control my environment and that's me being a man. Like, no, dude, that's not you being a man. That's you being an obsessive, compulsive, fucking crazy. (laughs) Like, guess what? Life happens. Like, shit in the world happens. Like, things out of your control. It's like learning how to live with some discomfort, some boredom, some, um, some excitement and surprise. Like... That's being human. It's not this like dumb, I have total control of my domain and my environment. Like you just sound like some fucking idiot LARPer. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like you're live action role playing, like what it means to be a paladin or something like, fuck you. <laughs> I don't, I don't view that as, I don't view that as masculine at all. I just view that like I've gone, I, I've gone on like first dates with guys that are like that. And I'm always like, there's no, I say first days cause there's never a second one for me that is just like, I just want you to see how in control of my life I am and how like everything is arranged. And I've, I've really got, I've learned some lessons from the past and I've really got it together right now. I'm just like, no dude, like life is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't like the idea that somehow not touching your dick is like evidence of your manhood. Like what could be stupider? Like 
what could be dumber than saying I have the ability with nothing else except my body and my thoughts to generate pleasure at any time during the day? Like what idiot doesn't do that? (laughs) What kind of thinking is that? That's awful. And it does nothing bad to you. You know, it only does awesome things for you. And by the way, it prevents prostate cancer and cures headaches. And, you know, like it's good for your heart. Like there's so many things about it that if you just want to go into a purely scientific level, like jerking off is really good for you. So, I mean, that's the one hope I have is that maybe Mike Cernovich will just, you know, his heart will stop or he'll get prostate cancer <laughs> from being part of the no fat movement. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's strange because the red pill movement was all about was almost sort of a combination of like game, like almost like game theory for how to pick up women mixed with how to not let like women take advantage of you kind of like and I'm I'm probably giving it a more articulate explanation than, <laughs> yeah, than it deserves. Yeah. But uh, there seems to be I mean, there's definitely a threat of having their masculinity threatened. And one of the reasons they say they don't fap is because they believe that it like fills them somehow like makes them more virile and more masculine automatically to like not, you know, like jizz or something or that like they, they feel like they're more, more loaded up with testosterone. And I guess that. Well, I have a, I have a solution. <laughs> Every time you jerk off, let a guy come in your ass and then you'll have that come back inside of you. <laughs> That's a great solution. Call me Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you could give that advice to Gavin McGinnis as well. <laughs> Um, but it seems like they're not threatened by their masculinity isn't threatened necessarily by, you know, even though a lot of these people are very upset by, you know, the rise rising, uh, like trans rights issues and stuff like that. And, and, you know, and dro- like, they're especially upset by any androgynous looking woman uh, or like that looks like they might be a lesbian. I mean, they freak out over that stuff, but it seems like the thing that threatens them the most is just independent women. And it's not so much like evangelical people of the past who are like threatened by homosexuality or from gay men or gay rights. This, it's very fascinating to me that, you know, you won't see very many alt-right people calling people fags or anything like that on Twitter, but they'll always just, call just people. Ga- just Gavin on Joe Rogan. But it seems like cuck, you know, has been this very popular term um, that you and I have t- talked about before. And it's, to me, it's just really fascinating that that's sort of the insult which is like the ultimate insult to them is like letting their woman essentially like fuck other guys Female. while you watch it, you yeah. know? But there's something, I don't know. I feel like there's something very Freudian there. Right. That's So, yeah. so I don't know. What's your, what's your response? Okay. Well, the first thing you talk about is the trans stuff and then the, then the cuck stuff. So I love how many people are like, you know, gender is biological phenomena and it is about hormones. And it's like, okay. Like, are you a scientist? Like, did you do any medical research on hormones? Like, so this thing that you're using to substantiate your stupid belief, you know, nothing about, I know quite a bit about hormones. My boyfriend is a hormone specialist. That is all he does is research hormones so he can prescribe them as a doctor. Um, and I will tell you, like, it's not, it's just not that simple guys, you know? So first of all, like you seem to know so much, what the fuck? Like, and, and you couch it in terms of logic. Like that's the thing that's so galling to me. It's like, you have such respect for logic and science, but like, you know, nothing about logic or science, um, much less more nuanced and complex things like philosophy, but the then, okay. So get to the, um, get to the, the like cuck thing. Yeah. Like, 
or like feminism is cancer is like the first level that you were talking about when you were saying they're just threatened by women who actually have minds of their own and, you know, want to, you know, whatever. So like, okay, you are first of all feeling completely like castrated by women who are just like, yeah, I don't want to fuck you. I don't want to talk to you and I don't want you to call me. And, uh, and the only way for you to conceive of that being true is if they are like uptight, frigid bitches. Like, in fact, like they probably got their, well, or maybe not, but I'm sure that like a lot of those women have their own squad of guys that they think are hot and like they hook up with whenever they want. And like, they just don't have, um, masculinity podcasts, you know, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. or maybe, maybe they do. And they're just better masculinity podcasts than yours. But, but so there's, there's that level of just like, Oh, she won't call me, you know? So I got to whip it out at the end of the whatever. <laughs> yeah. But then there's the, this cuck thing, which, I mean, it's very clear to me that that's what you're fantasizing about. I mean, if you, if you are so like, Oh my God, like that guy is such a cuck. Like he's just letting, he's letting the world like fuck what he wants in front of him without <laughs> fucking it himself. Like, okay. Like why are you imagining so much? Like what, what that guy's sex, like, like why did you frame it in terms of sex? Like you want to fuck that guy or you feel you are that guy. You feel you're inhabiting him in some way. Like, these things are so obvious to me that there's some erotic component to thinking about some guy not getting laid. So you yourself are the cuck. Like you're, yeah. you're the one watching people's sex lives unfold in front of you without your permission or like, or whatever. And so I don't know. I mean, I just, it, it, when people use sexual metaphors like that, it's obvious to me that they're uh, eroticizing them in their own, in their own way, you know, of course, yeah. so obvious. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my feeling on it as well. And it's fascinating because a lot of the people, you know, a lot of these all right people, they're not Christians. They're not like, they don't come off as they're religious or like, you know, are sex negative for that reason. So it is very interesting just, yeah, how the amount of people who use cuck. I mean, even, I think even in some of those transcripts that came out recently, Steve Bannon was throwing around the term. I mean, he allegedly called Kushner a, a cuck. Yeah. What was the the Scaramucci thing that was like, uh, Steve Bannon is trying to suck his own dick. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So even that had cuck rhetoric. And which I said to that, well, no, Steve Bannon would never suck his own dick because it's slightly darker than the rest of his body. <laughs> but but it, but there is like, there is this whole like, even, even the insults that aren't like direct cuck insults, they're still cuck insults, you know? Like you're just, it, it is this idea of, there's this terror of not being able to sexually perform or sexually perform as much as other guys. And it's like, it's funny, you know, it really reveals to you, like maybe if these people just got their sexuality together, maybe they would not be such tremendous fucking assholes. But then, you know, Dr. Ruth was a sniper in the Israeli army. So maybe they would be, I don't know. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. Wow. That's, that's very, very interesting. Yeah. She's an awful person. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess that's one of the most fascinating things to me about it is it seems very obvious that there is some kind of sexual erotic component to using that even as a metaphor politically. But then when you look at like the actual sort of, you know, why cuckolding porn is so popular and it's, and it continues to grow in popularity is because uh, for a lot of men, it comes from the intrinsic fear of being cheated on. 
and they eroticize that as almost like a trauma response. And, it, and yeah. it, I've read that before that that's a common pathway, you know, and I'm not saying that those guys are totally straight either. However. Yeah. Well, let me just, let me just flip that yeah. a little bit. The fear is a traumatic response to, uh, to monogamy. So, <laughs> monogamy is like a totally traumatizing thing, which we talk about culturally traumatizing in a lot of ways. But like we, when we, when we get jealous thinking about our partner having sex with someone else, it's because we're fantasizing about it, right? Like you're fantasizing, oh, your partner's doing this and this and this. Have you ever noticed like whenever people discover that their partner's cheating, they're like, what did he do? Did he fuck you? Did he touch your tits? Did he come in you? Like whatever. It's like, you want the details, you know, like you want to see the details is because you eroticize it, you know, and people not being able to handle their eroticization of their partner having sex with someone else turns into jealousy. That's the agreement of monogamy is that you will be jealous instead of allowing your partner to do whatever. So I think that that's like the idea of cuckolding, like the fear or whatever, like the fear is actually the trauma, like the jealousy itself is the trauma of you not being able to do what you want to do because you've decided in some rather, in most cases, arbitrary fashion that you're going to be in a monogamous relationship. And that's not me saying monogamy is wrong for everybody, but um, it is saying that, you know, it's, it's never, it's for the most part, not agreed upon explicitly or intentionally. It's just entered into without a thought, you know? Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with that. I think that that's, probably very true so yeah i mean it is it's it's a really fascinating thing that that term is now a political term <laughs> um because it's i mean i i think it's a fascinating phenomenon in, in general um you know and probably a lot of and you know you're probably right like a lot of the growing popularity in in that kind of porn and just in general i think um comes from this sort of almost like fight or flight instinct in monogamy and it's one it's one sort of angle to go into to like cope with that, you know, the trauma of monogamy or whatever you're. Well, the, the trauma of it <laughs> is that people aren't in touch with their sexuality. So that's why it's traumatic. It'll fuck you up by turning itself into fear and jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. We could talk for hours about, <laughs> about monogamy and your thoughts on it. That's I'd where everybody left the bus. Like when I was like, when I was just like <laughs> saying Gloria Steinem was a CIA agent, people were like, fuck yeah. Like when I was like, maybe, maybe, you know, like politicians rape and kill kids. They're like, fuck yeah. And then I was like, monogamy is a problem. And that's like, oh man, no. <laughs> that seriously is where people lose it because that's yeah. what touches their, that's what touches their lives. That's why people lose shit, their shit about trans stuff too, because like that, like it's such, it's so woven into the fabric of their everyday lives that they like, it's not really, but they think it is. So they just lose their shit about it. That's why they can't handle it. Well, we've been talking about sex. Most of this podcast, which has been pretty, pretty enlightening, but I guess let's end the podcast by, going a little bit more political so what do you think about this whole russiagate thing because i i know <laughs> i know you, yeah, you probably feel about it but i want to i want to hear your own take on it well i mean for me I, I think my my education on it comes from people like you who are doing some of the work you do where once you see that the sort of work to 
show Russia as a grand conspiracy country is a continuity and not a new thing, you have to be suspicious, right? And I knew that anyway. I mean, I knew obviously it was like, okay, so suddenly we're talking about Nazis and and pinkos and 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 bolsheviks and stuff again it's like we know that we know that we're back in certain old era rhetorics and right now we're very specifically back in cold war rhetoric and you know i so for me it was important to retain the view that no matter what evidence comes out this is how i feel about a lot of things let me just sort of back up it i feel like this about a lot of things whether whatever comes out about a phenomena, it could be Russiagate, could be something that has tons of evidence for it, like climate change. It could be something that has less evidence for it, like Pizzagate. Whatever the result of the proof is, it will be used against us as people by the people in power, right? So that's the thing that I always have my eye on is less the proof of evidence that the thing has happened and more what the consequences will be if everybody believes it yeah. um, and, go, and, and, and goes along with the people in power on it. It's kind of shock doctrine-y kind of mm-hmm. politics is, is always how I felt about things. So the Russiagate thing is like – because it has to have played in my mind a minimal role in or 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 only a partial role in how the election went um if anything if anything at all it becomes less important to me whether or not that's true and more important to me what's happening around the fact that people believe it's true so like what are we forgetting if we if we buy it full force first of all so like well, we're forgetting our own idiotic voting machines um, that leave no paper trail and have all sorts of fucking issues with them. We're forgetting Hillary Clinton's complete incompetence. We're forgetting um, the people in power that rallied around Trump as 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 a certain kind of figure. We're forgetting, um, you know, the the way that our media sort of led people to believe the election was going to go one way. We're forgetting that most people in the country didn't vote. And if, if voting, there's like that great graphic that's like, if, uh, if did not vote were a candidate and it basically swept the nation as like the winner of the mm-hmm. election, we're forgetting all of these things. Then and we're also forgetting that like the U S is constantly interfering with other people's elections and democratic processes with murder and war, by the way, not just messing with their votes or whatever. We're forgetting what the U S might have to gain, you know, with interact with interacting with Russia as a grand enemy. All that kind of stuff is so much more important to me than whether or not Russia fucked with the election. And so I, in some ways I just don't give a fuck. It's like, I just don't, even if it's true, I don't care because there are so many bigger issues that this is just like in relation to it is so insignificant. And my, my general feeling of it, although I can't, it has to remain an opinion is just that there was probably something going on. That's actually probably part of politics as usual between nations in conflict or tension with each other, that they fuck with each other's democratic processes which is gross and fucked up and stupid, but that's probably actually not anything new or significantly different from other elections. And, um, and that it was only a partial, it only played a, a 
partial or insignificant role. I might be wrong about that. And that, again, I assert it as an opinion, not like something that everybody needs to go along with me about, but it's just not the important part of the discussion. Even if it were happening, um, that, that that's the whole thing with, it's hard to tell if they're capitalizing and seizing on the fact that they've done it now. And they're saying that this is not business as usual when it could, you know, we don't, that, as the general public, we, we really don't know if this is business as usual. I mean, it seems like it is, but you know, they could, you know, they don't really have to try very hard to convince us that it's not. So it's kind of, it just leaves us all in a, a fucked up place. But the consequences of it are, I guess is what bothers me the most is just watching so many people already sort of adopting the rhetoric. Cause once it got to that point where like regular people started talking about Russia and shit, then it was kind of like, it was too late at that point to like reverse it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's fading away in favor of another thing, which is very similar, which is the North Korea stuff where mm -hmm. Kim Jong-un is just doing shit that has been done with like North Korea posturing and rhetoric for years of and course, years. Yeah. And it's only changing because our president is saying the same stuff back. So, mm -hmm. okay, congratulations. We have a North Korean leader as our president now, you know, yeah. like that's the thing that's different, but it's not, it's, it's not, um, but that's not significantly different. I mean, then the other missile tests and all that kind of shit, you know? Um, so I think it's like, maybe <laughs> they only have enough bandwidth to do one of those in the public eye at a time. Like, you know, which one are we going to, but, but actually it might be in conjunction, you know, here we have this country that's very close to Russia and China. So we're going to stoke the flames of anti-Russia rhetoric, which oddly Trump had been somewhat resistant to for a while, although he seems to maybe be changing his, his, his stance on that. Mm -hmm. But um, so, so we're going to shift, we're going to shift from Russia just slightly a little ways away <laughs> with this country that's very, very, very close by. And um, then we'll go back to Russia, you know, um, I mean, it's all part of communism, you know, or whatever, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if Robert Mueller, you know, actually can actually hands down any indictments because if he doesn't, then what was it all for, you know? But I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. It, um, it's, it's being used, I think also as a political positioning point for whoever runs against Trump mm -hmm. in the future, because it was already being developed by Hillary in the debates of the last election. Right. Totally, so it'll yeah. just be like, remember what we said, we warned you and nobody listened. Mm -hmm. And now our democracy is interfered with, um, and you know, if Russia gains power over anything within the next few years, any, if Russia gains any additional power that will be used as a positioning point against Trump as well. And so, I mean, I think that that's, uh, yeah. I, well, mean, I feel like if the French election would be, is a good example that uh, if it had flipped the other direction, I think we'd already be there. They'd be like, they fucked up. They did it. They manipulate another election. Like this is needs to be stopped. You know, now it's like, so wasn't that yeah. though that that French election too? Like, I've never gotten to talk about this, but it was such an interesting moment because everybody was like, "Oh, like, see, they defeated their Trump." Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Which was completely bonkers. And then it was like, yeah, and and they were like, "Look, you know, see, like, we, you know, this is why we need to come together and not let Bernie Sanders win, right?" Which was completely crazy. But as soon as Macron 
I'm saying his name wrong probably, but as soon as he won, everybody was like, fuck you. Right. Yeah. So he emerged into a culture. It it was completely different because if we would have had a culture that was like, I I always said to people like, go ahead and vote for Hillary. Just say she's an asshole. You know, like if we would have had a culture that didn't have to idolize the person that you voted for, it would have been fine in some ways if Hillary won, but it was, but we live in a culture that would not do what the French did, which is, we would have elected this person and then totally stepped on anybody that, you know, got in the way of our nationalistic fake pride over this, this war machine, you know? I mean, that was the most frustrating thing about the Obama era is that it seemed like people really dove into the idolization sort of paradigm without just being like, well, he's better than everybody else. This is the only choice we have, but let's really hold his feet to the fire. I mean, it's a, people are really resistant to that. I mean, and look what happened with Gitmo. I mean, that's a perfect example of what happens when you just idolize the fuck out of your guy. And I don't feel like, I don't feel like anybody really said anything critical about Obama at all. That was like, that really just like went out for him and voted for him. I think that they were totally like, this is progress, slow Mm -hmm. incremental progress. That was like the most they would say is that it was slow, you know? And that at best, or I mean, at worst, I guess it would be like total political revolution. We did it, you know, (laughs) and complete, complete stupidity. Um, and I mean, I think that that's something that you and Abby are particularly good at showing is that, is continuity, you know, like this is not the beginning. This is not the beginning of change. This has been going on for a long time in different ways. And maybe there is some progress here or some, you know, whatever there, but like we have to look at things as embedded in history somehow, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I used to admire about conspiracy culture in general um, was that it would always take a very negative approach of any, anybody holding the office, you know? Um, and that's not so much the case now. It seems like even the, even after Las Vegas, Abby and I were just talking about this, all these false flag theories started popping up, you know, the right wing was having a field day with it, but there was something oddly missing from all of them where none of them mentioned Trump. And if Obama, something like right. this happened under Obama, they'd be like, Obama's going to take our guns tomorrow. <laughs> and now they're like, the right. deep state is working or doing something under Trump's nose that's going to take our guns. It's like, whoa, like, so you can't even blame Trump even when you get this paranoid. It's crazy. And you can't, and the, I think the big problem for me with that kind of stuff too, is that it's, a, it's not, um, I don't know how to say this. It's not conspiratorial enough in some way. It's like, it's too narrow. It's too narrow in its causal chain of events. So like I, I have a friend who I respect very much his political views, but it was very much saying all this false flag stuff about Las Vegas. And I just thought, man, do you know what it's like to be a suicidally depressed person now, or, or like a person whose life is just emptied of meaning, you Mm -hmm. know, now that's not to say that, that we should blame people with mental illness. Obviously most people with mental illness don't do this kind of stuff. Right. But why, but it, we do have a place to say like, why is our culture creating lives of complete meaninglessness for people, you know, that's important. That's an important thing to address and not just address like some direct political cause. And that's the way, like, 
all political theories end up being conspiracy theories. It's like why essentially in some ways like Marxism and socialism are conspiracy theories because they land all the movement of human culture and economy, you know, that is itself a conspiracy theory or materialistic science, like which puts all of it in brain chemicals and all that. Like it's too, it's too contracted in its idea of causation. Maybe it is a false flag. I don't know. Or maybe it is like someone who, uh, uh, maybe it is someone who is, uh, mentally ill and got a gun. I don't know. Like, and, but the truth is like, none of us fucking know. Like, I just want there to be like multiple intersections of causality. There's a reason why someone who's zombified by the government to kill Kennedy is like chosen. And there's a whole series of events that lead up to it. There's a reason why our culture believes in these things. There's a reason why it's like there, there are so many different intersections of causes and they need to all be examined and looked at. Otherwise you're not really even a conspiracy theorist. You're just kind of, you are just kind of paranoid. Yeah. I I agree with that completely. And that's an interesting, yeah. The whole, like I wish there were were more people in the conspiracy framework who tried to sort of connect it all together and sort of like a world bigger worldview. And the only people who do are, you know, kind of just awful people. Like <laughs> well, Alex artists, Jones. Artists do <laughs> it. I think artists do it a lot. Yeah. Like artists are able That's to fair, see yeah. like really big picture and try to paint complexity, but because of the role we afford art and our culture as something to just tap your toe to or or absorb. I mean, it's not that bad. I mean, a lot of, I mean, art also has like a pretty central and amazing place in our culture in a lot of ways, but we don't take it seriously as like an informer of how the world works as much as we should, you know? But I think that, I think that artists and some philosophers, you know, are the ones that have the best picture of things. Like, I mean, I think even someone like where I just had mentioned Slavoj Žižek before, like I don't agree with so much of what he says. And I think he's like a better provocateur than, but he really works to come up with a complex idea of what's going on and approach with a, a comp, like a complex solution and in a way that he can communicate to huge groups of people. And I just wish more people were doing that work, even if they're wrong. I wish they were doing that work, you know? I think artists are definitely undervalued in our society. And it seems like, you know, filmmakers, if we're going to talk about one kind of art, seem to be able to get those ideas and those philosophies across better than most other kinds of artists. But then, you know, the flip side to that is like artists who are sort of really paving new territory, you know, or just like very abstract, like David Lynch. It's like, you know it's, it's kind of more abstracted from, you know, what he meant or what he intended. And, um, but I mean, I, I felt like I was watching the new season of Twin Peaks. Like I felt like I was sort of like, it it impacted me on a deep emotional level. He's I mean, he's a great example and, um, I still haven't watched the last. Okay. I won't spoil anything. But I, but I, but I, um, but he's a great example and that new Twin Peaks is a great example of, I'm going to try to do something that is utterly new, that is such a shock to how you understand things that it will supplement and sort of shift the way you look at the world. If you can endure my art in some sense, if you can endure this, um, you'll have created a new capacity. It's sort of like even just watching it trains you into being able to think in a new way. And that's what artists do best, you know, and it, 
and it, it takes work to encounter that. It's like when people tell me they don't read cause like they get bored. I'm like, yeah, man, like it takes work to develop the capacity or the sort of inner spiritual organ to be able to read. Like you got to do that work. And then finally, like you find yourself reading books and you're co-creating something with the author and you have a broader and better view of the world. It's not, it's not that it just happens, you know, like, and that's the problem. Like when people are encountering art as something that they want to be able to digest very quickly. And I feel like most people have one kind of art form or another that they're willing to sort of like sit in, even if it's a little difficult sometimes. Why do you hate new atheists so much? And why are you so regressive? <laughs> well, you see, <laughs> well, because Islamophobia is not a real thing. And I uh, just, I, I'm just buying the, the leftist bullshit argument. No. Um, first of all, I am, I was raised a religiously, um, so I grew up with no real religion. Um, and in fact, my, my mother was raised by fundamentalist Christians. So she sort of rebelled and rejected. And my father's from a village in the mountains of Syria, which had no real analog for the kind of spirituality, which was Christian mixed with some nomadic beliefs when he came to the U S I mean, there was a church, but, um, that a lot of Syrian people went to where I grew up, but it, it was not not could not approximate this little village of all farmers where he's from, you know, um, the spirituality there. I came to spirituality on my own without any violation of my soul at all from like being raised in a religion, you know? And so I am very into, um, basically esoteric Christianity. Um, but obviously what, obviously my engagement with my beliefs is very, um, very different than what people understand Christianity mm -hmm. to be, you know, um, it informs me in my life a lot. Again, like Zizek's a great example, or Terry Eagleton or other people that might claim to be secular, but learn lessons from Christianity. Um, I actually have a spiritual dimension, but I also learn lessons from it that I think are cultural lessons. And I think other people can learn those things. Um, so the occult and esoteric Christianity are important forces in my life. Um, and again, and the occult meaning, by the way, just, I just threw that word in there. And now people are like, see, he's like, he, <laughs> at the end of all of this, he's a devil worshiper. Um, the, the occult meaning, um, I mean, esoteric Christianity is, a, is the, is occult Christianity. It's, um, it's Christianity linked to hermeticism, hermetic beliefs, um, Rosicrucian beliefs, um, all this kind of stuff. So anyway, that aside, or maybe actually not that aside. That's actually very important to how I consider new atheists because the uh, theological philosophy that informs my life is infinitely more complex and worthwhile than the dumbass, stupid materialism that these people espouse and think they understand or the sort of pseudo-sophisticated bullshit um, idea ideas of like Buddhism and mindfulness that, you know, war and torture supporting Sam Harris has or whatever these, their, their ideas are bottom of the barrel idiocy. I get angry at them because, um, aside from being state worshiping assholes most of the time, I mean, they really are just in love with the fucking state. 
Um, their philosophies are dumb. Richard Dawkins is an idiot when it comes to evolution and science and yet uses it as his fucking ammo constantly. The guy has done very little lab work in his life and yet constantly pimps himself out as a scientist. You know, he's a zoologist. Zoologists, God, I'm going to go on forever. This is a big question. I studied, I studied organismic and evolutionary biology in grad school with one of the most famous scientists in the world. So my main mentor in life who was like my second mother, this woman, Lynn Margulies, was like my fucking, she was an atheist and she was like my mentor, you know, that's who I learned the most under. And so it's not about atheism. It's about a certain brand of atheism that is offensive to everything that it claims. She was a microbiologist and a geologist. She understood earth systems. You might know her as being, she was married to Carl Sagan. So the, the idea that Richard Dawkins understands evolution from his idiotic basic understanding of zoology when and, – and he spits out against every other version of evolution which comes from scientists that know much more and his idea of evolution is outdated and not embraced by the scientific community – which is random genetic mutation meets natural selection. I'm going to go on about this for a little bit. So the idea that his version of evolution is means to dismiss other people's naive, stupid, foolish, rubbish ideas of religion. When in fact his ideas are themselves outdated, outmoded, stupid, and he clings to them and proselytize them over and against other scientists who tell him that he's wrong and that the evidence is not there for his dumb cost-benefit capitalist idea of how evolution works enrages me. It sets science back. It sets theories of evolution back. It gives ammo to dumbass creationists who are attacking his theory because their critiques are right, even if their conclusions are completely stupid. So I mean, not all their critiques are right. Some of their critiques are <laughs> stupid too, but – it's that kind of posturing. It's the idea that Sam Harris puts himself out there as a philosopher or a neuroscientist. He doesn't know shit about philosophy or neuroscience. He's the bottom of the barrel. You know, I mean, Lawrence Krauss is at least a physicist, but because he's a physicist who is widely criticized by other physicists, by the way, does not give him like free range to talk about philosophy or God. What the fuck is he talking <laughs> about? You know, these are literally the dumbest people in the world who have read the right things to make themselves sound smart, but have no philosophical, real deep philosophical lens on the world. This is what troubles me because they degrade and demean science. They degrade and they demean philosophy. And they do this in the name of attacking Muslims, of supporting war, of attacking transgender people. So it's the faux expertise that really enrages me. It is the same kind of faux expertise that neoliberals use to laugh at conservatives or laugh at poor people. It's not necessarily that all the things that they're critiquing are perfect, pure institutions. It's that they're ammo, their stance and their posturing is bullshit and they're total phonies. So that's what fucking bothers me. And then you can see that they're total phony. All the people that sort of follow them and then spit out shit at you when you talk shit about them online, like it's totally like 
they're like, first of all, they all sound like the comic book guy from the Simpsons. I don't know why, like, <laughs> Oh, religion is hogwash, you know, like that. Kind of, like, why do they all sound like that dude? Like it's all this like weird, like I'm going to use words that aren't even actually big words, but just sound dismissive. Like, you know, um, they use parroted arguments and it, you can see like in their followers and their followers rhetoric, like, what actually the distillation of their arguments are like that actually they're not really that much different than the people that sort of like troll people on Twitter, you know, using science. And so that's a long winded answer to your question, but um, there's just so much wrong with those people and they are in some ways the absolute worst of the worst, um, you know, and you know, like Bill Maher is another great <laughs> example um, yeah. because they don't know anything and they pretend to know everything. It's like, um, you know, Camille Paglia has a really great, you know, line about them or like she, she says, you know, they just, they have people who use, who scoff at religion, um, are childish. It's like a sign of a dull mind, she says. And it's like, whether or not you think that religion is dumb, to discount it as a really important, fascinating, and complex aspect of human existence is really preposterous. I mean, it has its place. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like, at least the fucking religious fundamentalist in Alabama, like has a text that they know really well, mm -hmm. you know, like has some, and that's rooted in history in some way and has like textual and artistic aesthetic reference. That's like way better than someone that's read the fucking God delusion, you know, and, and thinks that Muslims should be killed. You know, one of the things that I bothers me most about Sam Harris is that he's so, seemingly disinterested in actually learning like he doesn't have that curiosity about this very fascinating aspect of society and human civilization but yet he acts like he's an expert on islam and he acts like you know he says is like a fact isis is essentially the inevitable result of like fundamentalist islam and it's like con inevitable conclusion and it's like how could you fucking say that when you don't even there are devout muslims who aren't ISIS, who are extremely fundamentalist Muslim. Like, like he, he, the fact that he wouldn't even like touch on that and sort of show you the contrast just shows like how narrow and I mean, honestly, manipulative his worldview. I, I think totally he knows he's lying oftentimes. That's my, I, I think impression. he's probably a sociopath. Yeah. I think it's really easy to be a Buddhist sociopath. Um, I think if you practice mindfulness, you can very easily slit someone's throat. And just be like, here I am in the moment, <laughs> cutting their throat. I mean, that, that I'm I'm not joking. The U.S. military trains people in mindfulness um, to uh, the I think it's the Marines trains people in mindfulness to allow them to be better killers because it's a sort of detachment. It's, you, I'm not, and I'm not saying this isn't a critique of of Buddhism, although um, we should critique uh, we should critique certain Buddhists in the world, particularly in. Burma right now. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I think that we, we have, um, but, but we, we pretend that mindfulness or Sam Harris does, you know, in some ways is value free and it's like, no, it actually like, it has to exist in some sort of like, you know, moral place or you can just use it to be a sociopath. I mean, what, what could be more mindful than a sociopath who's not in touch with his feelings of and course. is totally beyond them, you know?
Yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, it was his foreign policy views and his views on torture that really tipped me off that he was a sociopath. Because, yeah. you know, when I watch neocons, some of the best ones are the best ones because they're sociopaths. Mm -hmm. That's how they're able to, like, be such good salesmen for war. And has, it, has anybody traced his, like, he, I bet he has funding from neocons. I've looked into it. I've looked into it. I can't, I haven't you found it. His partner, Majid Nawaz, is yeah. totally directly connected to UK yeah. anti-terrorism money. So he's he's definitely in that. But yeah, Sam Harris, nothing nothing concrete. But I mean, he has his own little think tank that's been around when Christopher Hitchens was still alive. He yeah. sat on the board and Ricky Gervais is on the board, Ugh. who is a loathsome. I fucking hate Ricky well, Gervais. Well, just what a, what a, what a total idiot. Him. What a total idiot that he's guy such is. such a hack. Yeah. Um, <laughs> his annoying heron laugh. I love uh, I love following Andy Kindler on Twitter because he's just constantly slamming Ricky Gervais's PR. Like he, for every comedy <laughs> tour poster he puts out is like him just laughing hysterically on the cover. Like uh -huh. it's like, do you really need to show us how funny you are by like, la <laughs> like laughing right, totally. <laughs> It's great. Well, I guess that about wraps it up. Um, I should probably ask you where people can check out your podcast. Yeah. So I have um, a web series, which is, I think by the time, well, no, actually sh shortly it's on its way to becoming a dual format. So it'll be a podcast and a web series right now. It's okay. just a web series, but um, it's against everyone with Connor Abib. And if you just go to youtube.com forward slash Connor Abib, that's all there. I also have a Patreon. So patreon.com forward slash Connor Abib. So if you like, all this bullshit I've said since the beginning or some of it, and you want to support the Patreon to help me do more of my bombastic bullshit. I would love that. Um, and it goes basically to the show at this point, um, which you will be a guest on. Um, and Abby has been a guest on. And, um, and then the only social media I have, I'm, I have a Facebook, but I don't keep up with it. I mean, there's like nobody on there, <laughs> but I have a, a good Twitter and that's just at Connor Habib, C-O-N-N-E-R-H-A-B-I-B. -N -N -E um, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. And I highly recommend everybody follow you on Twitter as long as you're not, um, you know, afraid of seeing some dicks. Or it, especially if you are afraid. Yeah. Especially, especially yeah. If you are I, then I highly encourage it. <laughs> um, and you, you've never been flagged on Twitter for like... Have you, have you for inappropriate content? Does that well, ever happen to you when you post those kind of pictures? Uh, for all my pictures, it puts a sensitive content warning on them. Well, because I put in my settings that you have to be 18 or older to follow me. Um, and that's just so I don't get kicked off of Twitter. Yeah, you know? yeah, so I yeah. don't, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I'm fine with those guidelines. I think it's, I think that that's okay. Like, you know, okay, that's Twitter covering its ass. So nothing illegal happens on Twitter, which is why initially they had to shut Vine down because they couldn't regulate it mm -hmm. in that way. Um, but I wish that, I mean, they do that weird shadow blocking stuff and I wish that they didn't do that. And I wish that they didn't do show more responses. Like when someone curses, I, I yeah. think all that stuff is total bullshit and they're just, they're trying to work out how, I mean, cause if, if Twitter kicked off all its porn stars, like, I mean, it would go dead. That's yeah. so they, they're, they're in too deep now because it's like millions of people following porn performers and porn accounts and all that kind of stuff that they would be kind of fucked. So 
they're sort of wading through and trying to figure out. And I actually, you know, in some ways I commend them for, I mean, they do all kinds of things that are wrong and annoying, but as far as social media sites go, they've been the best one out of the bad ones so Mm -hmm. far at allowing people to be full human beings and say, I have political thoughts and also a butt, you know, and I'm allowed to show both. Yeah. I, I respect them as a company for that, for, for at least trying to keep sort of the uncensored, um, you know, stuff out there. Um, so yeah, thank you for coming on. Thanks man. It was awesome. It's great to finally meet you in person. No, we met in person before. Oh, but it was only for two yeah, seconds. Right. It was only it was for like, like two minutes. Thir- yeah, no, it was, and you're I like was super distracted. Yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Forgot That's about right. that. No, it's fine. Right. <laughs> uh, what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Um, thank you for listening to Media Roots Radio, everybody. And uh, please donate to our Patreon page. Um, we're trying to reach a goal right now of $500 per creation per episode. And once we reach that goal, we will be putting out four episodes per month, one per week. So thank you for listening.